we welcome you into episode 32 of the best podcast available June the 16th, 2020. I'm Jason Gibbs alongside Andrew Gribble. Coming up on the program today, we continue our series, our new get to know between the front office, between the coaches. Today, tight ends coach Drew Petzing and Gribbs, it's, he's a guy that we knew way back when, about seven years ago to be exact. He was in our building as an intern back today as the tight ends coach of one of the more important positions for this football team in 2020. Yeah, you know, and for, for Drew, we talk about it a little bit, but, you know, he's he. it was interesting. I don't know if he ever imagined that he would be back uh, in Berea, but he had a really good experience. Obviously, it started really bolted his, his uh, NFL career. And for Kevin Stefanski, kind of a no-brainer hire for his offensive staff, you know, worked with him closely uh, in Minnesota for the last few years. And I, I think it's it's interesting for, for Drew, and as, as he grows as a coach, this will be his first year coaching the tight end. So it, it's, it's, it certainly was a nice gift for him to, to get Austin Hooper on that first day of free agency to, to help out his first year, but he's learning coaching the position and uh, he's been coaching long enough though, where I think he's going to jump right into it and, and kind of have a, a good quality room with, with a bunch of different options in there. Yeah. And it continued uh, the Christmas uh, for the tight end room continued uh, throughout the draft process as well. So that is a loaded room, as we talked about last week in our position rankings. Let's take a look at some of the other news and notes uh, from over the weekend and on a Monday as we roll into Tuesday and continue on with the Browns' virtual offseason. About a week and a half left of that. That's going to wrap up next Friday, the 26th. Uh, Jadavian Clowney, the man that will not go away in terms of news and Things that keep popping up. Albert Breer in his column this morning, I should say Monday morning, on uh, the uh, on the Clowney sweepstakes. And he basically says the situation continues to be complicated. Uh, he thinks it's of note that the Browns are willing to pay a good rate. I've heard they'd be okay going to the $15 million range on a one-year deal to get him, and he remains unsigned. Per Breer, that tells me two things. One, that Clowney's financial desires are still a barrier to getting a, the deal done. And two, that those desires may come on a sliding scale based on destination. Now, Joel Corey, salary cap expert, was on Browns Daily Monday. And he said regarding Clowney, if you can't get the highest deal on a multi-year contract, your best option your main option, the only option that his camp should be looking at is how much money can you make in a one-year deal? Well, it appears right now, Gribbs, that the Browns, at least reportedly, would be the front runners for that. But uh, Clowney, I believe, thinks he's worth a lot more than maybe what everybody else is prepared to offer at this point. Yeah, it's a complicated decision because I think it's one thing to say, hey, at this at this stage of the game, just take the one-year deal at the most money. But you know, you play the game of football, you, you know, you're one play away from never playing again. And, and I think that that, that can be a tricky decision because in a bubble, it might seem easiest to, to take a one-year deal, but there've been other guys that have taken one-year deals and it hasn't paid off. I mean, the, the good examples out there are guys like Alshon Jeffrey, who did that with the Eagles. I mean, there, there's various others who have done these kind of prove it contracts, but I understand the apprehension with that. And I also understand the apprehension of seeing these multi-year deals and you looking at it and being like, 
I'm worth more than this. So I, I, I get the tricky situation he's in. It's a unique offseason. I, I still don't know if he's in much of a hurry uh, to get it done. I guess it's good to see that Cleveland is still in the mix. But as we've said on this podcast before, it, it's I consider it gravy at this point because I think you're going in with a pretty good defensive line. You've got your ends set up with Vernon and Garrett. But if you can find a way to get Clowney in there, I think it, it makes you feel good. I, I compare it to the to the Gerald McCoy situation of last year. I, I think that when it would have been gravy to get him in and, and help out your defensive tackles, but I, I think you're ultimately fine with what you had outside of the injuries to the defensive end that just kind of decimated the rest of your line. So uh, this will be an interesting one to follow, but I, the, the, the whole sliding scale notion with different places come with different prices. I mean, I think that applies to the vast majority of the working force in the world. I mean, I think that we all have, we all have different prices for, you know, for, for what you're willing to do and where you're willing to work. So that, that part doesn't surprise me either too much. No, no, not at all. And, and you mentioned the defensive end room is a little stronger, that defensive tackle room with some big offseason additions, maybe more so than people realize because they weren't the big day one, day two splashes. But that room really upgraded as well. Uh, that whole defensive line uh, looking pretty solid not just the ones, but the twos and even into the threes. Pretty solid as we get ready for camp less than six weeks from now. Joel Corey, as I mentioned, was on Browns Daily Monday. He also came on to talk about Miles Garrett and Jeremy Fowler from ESPN the week before, late in the week, with some news that the Browns and Garrett were reportedly talking. Miles Garrett appearing to be headed for a really big payday from CBS Sports. Joel Corey, uh, I'm expecting Miles Garrett to become the NFL's first $25 million per year non-quarterback. His deal will be Joey Bosa's salary floor. So something interesting to take a look at. Uh, a lot of money is going to be thrown at Miles Garrett's way, and it's going to impact how this football team looks in the next two or three years. Uh, because he's just the tip of the iceberg of some of these guys that they have to sign in and, and get in and, you know, guys that are going to be here hopefully for a while. Yeah, I mean, that 2018 draft class is just right around the corner as well. I mean, your Baker Mayfield and Denzel Ward both play premier positions uh, that, that fetch big salaries. So, yeah, I mean, that's the, there's incentive to get this done sooner rather than later, you would think, I'm, even though you've got them under contract for the next couple of years. And, I think just like I mentioned with Clowney, the the injury, you know, thing floating in there, that it would be easy for someone to say, why doesn't Miles wait till the end of this year after he has a huge year and and for him to get even more? But you know, there's incentive to to lock it up and 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 have that security uh, for years to come. So uh, I think that the 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 team and the player have a great relationship, and I I think that hopefully we, this is something some good news we can can report on very soon. But you know, my, I think we knew. I think we knew this would be a big contract, basically from the day he was drafted and the day we saw him make the impact he's made. I mean, it's a pass rusher. You're entering a, a, a part of the NFL where these contracts are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, you know, I, I think that this was this was the day we expected when, you know, you finally hit on on one of these top draft picks. This is what comes with keeping them around. Uh, it's not cheap. No, no, not at all. And you're, I mean, 25 million. Um, the gentleman whose name escapes me from Chicago right now, Khalil Mack, 23 and a half million right now is the standard bearer. That's more than Aaron Donald's making. 
this one uh, expected to be around $25 million a year. That that's a like, lot of money. It's like the quarterback position. Whoever's the highest paid quarterback is the one that signed the most recent deal. I mean, that's just that's just the way it is. I mean, so it might it might briefly offend Khalil Mack that he's making less than than Miles Garrett for like a couple minutes, but that's just that's just the way it is. I mean, it's it's all about the timing of when you sign your deal. That's the latest as it pertains to the Cleveland Browns. Again, the virtual uh, offseason continues. The Browns uh, becoming one of the few teams that are going to see this through all the way to the end, it appears. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. As we get closer to training camp, maybe we'll talk about that coming up in just a few minutes from now. Time now for our interview and our Get to Know segment uh, on this episode of the best podcast available. He was the Browns football ops intern in 2013. Spent the last six years with the Vikings, 14 to 18 as the Vikings assistant wide receiver and quarterback coach. And then last season as the Vikings wide receiver coach, pretty talented room that he had to manage. And he did quite a decent job of it as the Vikings get to the uh, second round of the playoffs. Drew Petzing back here in Cleveland as a member of the Browns. Andrew Gribble had a chance to sit down with Mr. Petzing, have a watch and have a listen. All right, we're joined here now by tight ends coach Drew Petzing. And, and Drew, I see you're at the, the home office. I'm just wondering how things have been going for you during uh, these kind of crazy times for the last few months. Yeah, it's been great. Uh, really appreciate you having me on. Uh, it's been, uh, you know, you, you, you make do with what you have. Uh, put a setup together over the last couple months to work at home and uh, making the most of it. So it's been really good. So when you guys went left the office for the last time, I mean, what were some of the things that you – kind of thought about going into how you might handle this virtual offseason and how much has been kind of a gradual process of, of kind of adapting to, to your circumstances? Yeah, I think there was a lot of both. I mean, you definitely kind of heard rumors that this could happen. You didn't really know how long. So there were definitely some things you wish you took uh, at the onset in terms of tape, in terms of a setup and things like that. But I think you definitely wanted to be prepared. So you had the basic essentials from a technology standpoint. Uh, the hard part was figuring out the lighting, you know, into a new house without blinds, that could tend to be an issue. So the first time you go on Zoom and nobody can see your face, it's like one of those commercials where you're in uh, witness protection, you know, things like that, that I don't think I was quite ready for. Uh, and then there's always stuff, you know, the video guys, our support staff has just done an amazing job of kind of getting us up to speed and making sure that we had everything we needed through the course of these last couple of months. Now, would you have considered yourself a tech-savvy guy before this? And are you now feeling like you're, you're way more of a, of a tech, tech kind of guy with this stuff? I would say as a younger coach, I like to consider myself a little tech-savvy. But I, I've learned things uh, a lot through this process from players, from other coaches, uh, on our staff, around the league. Uh, I think it's also been really impressive to see some coaches that I would say are not as comfortable with technology who have really done a, a really impressive job in terms of adapting it, learning it, and making the most of it. And just, it seems like when we talk to coaches and, and general managers, everyone that they've been impressed by the way players have really bought into this kind of way of doing things. I mean, what have you seen from your, from your guys? Yeah. I, I, you know, I think part of them like it. Uh, they like being at home. They like, you know, stay, a lot of them have good access to a gym and uh, allows them to really focus on their bodies and they can still get some of the football aspect of it. So I think I've been really impressed with kind of the level of focus, you know, anytime you're on, a Zoom call, it's a little bit harder to hold people's attention because you're not sitting there in the, in the meetings with them. They're also not watching tape of themselves, right? One of the best parts about the offseason is people love to watch themselves do things. So when we can go back and watch practice tape, you know you have their engagement, uh, which was definitely a fear when you're 
watching game tape. You're trying to pull clips from around the league or find examples of certain things. Um, but the guys have been great. They've been really engaged. Uh, they've been committed to learning the offense and really committing to the techniques that we've been teaching. So it's, it's been fun. It's, it's, we've gotten a lot out of it. And I think uh, a week after you guys left the office, you, you get the good news that you're, you got Austin Hooper added, added to your room. I mean, what, what was that like? And then what have you, what have you learned about, about your new tight end and what he brings to the table? Yeah, it was really exciting. I mean, anytime you can add a player of that caliber, you know, it's a great opportunity for me as a coach and us as a team. And uh, I think the big thing that, that made it even more exciting is you, you talk to people that have been around him or had the chance to coach him and just his love of the game, uh, the way that he approaches his job, takes the game very seriously. So as a coach, no, not only are you getting a great player, but you're getting a leader, someone that's going to come in the room and do things the way you want, uh, which has been great. And he's been everything and more uh, in this offseason in terms of the way he shows up to meetings, taking notes, asking questions, um, being a mentor to some guys who haven't been in the league as long in terms of how to do things, how you conceptualize things. Um, he's been, it's been really impressive and a lot of fun to work with. And just it, it seems like the, of any position on the field, tight end is one where guys get better and better near this stage of, of their career. What, what's it like getting someone like him who may not even be he might be entering his prime just now, uh, now in, in his fifth season here. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, I think the tight end position at the NFL level is a little bit unique. You're, you're heavily involved in the run and the pass game. Uh, you know, things are a lot more multiple than they may have been in college in terms of what you're looking at. So I think there is a lot of um, growth that happens as you get the experience of playing in the league. So to, to, to get somebody that's had as many snaps as he had over the first couple of years of his career, I mean, you saw that growth even in Atlanta. And uh, you know it's going to continue here. So it's, uh, it's a great opportunity for him and for us. And we know with this offense, you need more than one of these guys uh, out there at, at a lot of times. But it seems like David Njoku's had a very good offseason and, and Farrell Brown, guys, guys that fill out your room. I mean, have they really bought into the notion that this is an offense that really features their position in, in a lot of different ways? Yeah, I think you could see that excitement pretty early on in terms of just you know, having never been around these guys, I imagine they approach it like this every year, but it's, it's been great for me to see it this year, knowing, you know, hey, this is an opportunity for a lot of guys to come in and contribute. And the number one priority in able to do that is knowing what your role is, how to carry it out to the best of your ability. And I think to see all of those guys embrace that has made it easy for me as a coach and definitely exciting for us as an offense. What, what do you like about David's game and, and what you've seen on, on tape and, and how he can bounce back from, from last season? Yeah, I think the big thing that stands out you second you turn it on is just the way he can run. I mean, he is he is a legit mismatch in the passing game. He can create a lot of separation. He can go up and get the ball. Um, but I think the other thing that, that impressed me a little bit is I, I think he's a better run blocker than people give him credit for. Uh, he is not shy in the run game. He is not afraid to stick his nose in there. Uh, I think he can be a really great asset in, in the play-action game, in the keeper game, and all the things that we like to do in this offense to keep people off balance. And with – I imagine with him, he's been learning this as he's been going through the league. I mean, how long does it take for a guy to really take on that kind of blocking responsibility when pre previous through their career, they've probably just been running out and catching passes, things like that? Yeah, I think it's a combination of willingness. I mean, there's, there's some of that, which you definitely see with him. And it's kind of talked back to the experience thing that you just talked about, right? You know, you're not used to blocking a 290-pound defensive end. So every time you're asked to do it, I think a good player who takes his job seriously – learns a little bit more about what was effective, what worked well, what didn't, how to go at it the next time you do it. So I think that just the reps of doing it and being asked to do it and really committing to that part of the job allows these players to continue to see that improvement over the early course of their careers. 
from your perspective, what's been the, the biggest difference in installing an offense virtually? And is there any kind of advantage to, to being in this situation, installing it? Uh, and I don't know about a major advantage. You know, it's, <laughs> I think the biggest thing, and, and this is, I'm sure, I know I feel this way. I would think you feel this way. The easiest way to learn something is to do it. Yeah. And, and I think the hardest part about the virtual offseason is that we, we can't do it, right? And one of the things as coaches that we always struggle with is, you spend a lot of your time coaching off of people's mistakes and you always tell guys, Hey, making a mistake is fine. Repeating the mistake is the problem. And we're not making any mistakes right now. Right. I mean, we're not out there missing a block, going to the wrong guy, running the wrong route. And so not only is the person who made that mistake, not learning from it, but other guys watching the tape, being in the meeting rooms, it's hard to recreate that. So one of the things you try to do is you point out common mistakes uh, that happen on game tape from other people around the league, from other teams that we've been on. And you try to show them examples of, hey, these are things that can go wrong. Here's why they need to be corrected. But until you really physically go through that action, I think some of that can, can be hard to conceptualize. And, and that's definitely been the hard part of it. Um, you know, from an, the, the, you know, I guess some of the things that have been easy, uh, I mean, guys are very tied to their phones and their iPads. So if, I, you know, if, if they need us or we need them, they're, they're, they're there. And we know they're there and they know we're here. Um, so there's definitely that. But I think it's been a lot more – how to overcome some of the challenges than it is this is easier yeah and then how how is a guy like harrison fit in with the group and trying to get to know these guys in this kind of virtual setting yeah that that probably is one of the things that you still are able to do a little bit is just get everybody in a room together or on zoom and, and get a feel for who they are and let them talk to each other and let them develop those relationships because that's a huge part of being part of a team and uh harrison's i mean he's a great kid he, he's been a leader his whole life he's someone who works extremely hard uh, and as a young guy, you, you kind of come in and I think he's feeling out the room, right? He's trying to see, he's trying to meet the other guys and get a feel for them, which you can do, maybe not to the same extent as if you were in the building, uh, but it, it's a really good group. And I, I think they've gotten along really well so far this offseason. Now we saw it on building the Browns. He has that unique way of looking, learning the playbook with poker chips. Is that something that you've ever seen before? Is that that's something new that he kind of showed you guys? Huh? I am not, I mean, I, you hear guys talk about it because I, I think he, learned it from someone he was working out with maybe Jordan Palmer pre combine, mm. I think had kind of yeah. given him that. Um, so it's something that guys have done. I think everybody kind of has their own way of going about it. I know guys that get the whiteboard and like to draw it out. I've seen guys that literally stand up in their room and uh, you know, they'll move around and call out plays. I'll, I'll never forget. It was my, would have been my second year, I think in Minnesota, maybe my first, we got Teddy Bridgewater and he used to record himself calling plays into a microphone and then play it back. Uh, I think guys, especially a guy like Harrison, who takes his job so seriously, they find ways to make sure that they can learn the material regardless of the situation. And, and then for you, this is obviously, this would be a time of year where you're getting to know your other coaches. I mean, you knew some of these guys, obviously, with Kevin in the background, but what have you guys done to kind of expedite that process of, of getting to know each other and working with each other? Yeah, and, and a lot of it is seeing people on Zoom. You know, I think one of the things that I've, I've started to try to do is you FaceTime a lot more instead of call. Uh, mm -hmm. So normally when it would be a phone call to ask a question, it's a FaceTime. So you're looking at the guy, you're getting a feel, he's getting a feel for you. I think that's been kind of some of the things that we've tried to do to create those connections and, and create those relationships and understanding, even though we can't be together. And then for a guy that you know well in, in Kevin Stefanski, this is his first year as a head coach. A lot's been thrown at him. But how, how have you seen him kind of handle all this and, and kind of keep everything organized here? So you're saying he didn't plan all this when he got his first head coach? <laughs> no, it's, a, it's been a unique, unique year for, for, to be a first-year head coach. Yeah, no, he, he's been great. I think that's one of the things that always impressed me, even in Minnesota, is 
no matter what happened in game, out of game, during the week, in the off season, good and bad, uh, he's the same guy. And I think this situation has been no different. It's, hey, here are the facts. Here's how we're going to operate. This is what we feel like is best for the team, and this is what we're going to do. Um, so he's been great there. And then, hey, if, if you needed him for support or you had a question or a concern, he's always been very willing to help and answer those type of things for coaches, for players. And I think that's shown through throughout this offseason in terms of everything that's happened. And it's really been re refreshing, and uh, it's been helpful for me as we go through this process. Now, when you look ahead to, to training camp and what you think it might be or, or may not be, do you, do you handle training camp the same way from your perspective, or, or how, do you, how do you adjust how you coach these guys one-on-one uh, -on -one out there? Yeah, I think a lot of that's going to be dictated based on exactly what training camp does or doesn't look like. You know, it's mm -hmm. hard to make any decision or any kind of proclamation until, until we know. You know, I think yeah. that's been part of the, the entire process is waiting for, all right, hey, here's what we got. Here's what we're allowed to do. Let's make the most of it. And I think training camp's going to be no different. Um, you know, I think you need to go into it with the reality that these guys didn't have the off-season reps they normally would have from a mental standpoint. Um, yeah. And we're going to take that into consideration, and, and we know what the end goal is, and we're going to work back from there to make sure we can accomplish it. Now, has, have you ever looked more forward to a training camp? I mean, just based on how, how far away you've been from football now? No, there's no doubt. I, you know, if you don't miss football at this point as a coach, as a player, as a fan, you know, I'm not sure you liked it to begin with. <laughs> and we've asked this to pretty much everyone that's been on. I mean, what's the – are there any like little things that you now appreciate that you didn't before or how, what is kind of coming to, to focus now, uh, now that it's been about three months now? Oh, that's a good question. I, I think the biggest thing and one of the most enjoyable things about the job is what is, is those relationships and, and the personal connection you get, not only with the coaches, but with the players of being in the room, some of the downtime before practice, after practice, between periods, when guys are just hanging out and talking and getting to know each other, you know, you don't have those moments, kind of the unscripted time that you get to spend with a lot of these guys uh, that you work with. And uh, I think that's definitely something I've missed over the last couple of months. Cool. Well, Drew, how, how's the homecoming been? I mean, and that, and just the fact that you started your, your career as an intern, I mean, what's it been like being back in the area and experiencing kind of in a different way than, than maybe you expected these first few months? Yeah, it's, it's been great coming back. People, a lot of people have asked me, oh, is it nice to be back? And I said, I feel like when I was here the first time as an intern, your budget's a little different. So I wouldn't <laughs> say I was out like living the dream in Cleveland, spending a lot of money. Um, so having, a, you know, being able to be in a house and be in a community and, and feeling comfortable going out to restaurants and doing a little bit more when I can, which I haven't been able to do yet, will be nice. Um, but, but it's a great city. And, and I knew when I left the first time, this is a very passionate fan base and a great organization to be a part of. So anytime you can get a chance to be a part of something like that, uh, me and my family are really excited. And, you know, whenever we're allowed out of the house and, and able to experience the city a little bit more, we're definitely looking forward to that. Cool. Well, Drew, I appreciate you, you joining us for a little bit here. And, and thank you again. And hopefully you'll be, we'll see you in the building soon here. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thanks to Drew Petzing for his time. Uh, a, a guy that comes across uh, as knowing the game of football very well. Gribbs, uh, very impressive young man uh, who's done a lot in just a very short period of time. Yeah, a very like eager, bright coach. And I think someone that Stefanski identified early on in his time uh, with the Vikings as kind of a coach you want to mentor and, and bring up and, and kind of see them kind of grow their career the way that others helped Kevin Stefanski grow his career. And I, I thought the most interesting thing that he talked about was, I think he was frank about the challenges of this virtual coaching where it's, I think we've, we've heard all the, the good stories, but I think the, the challenges that come with it was he said that, you know, that you can't, the biggest way you teach 
on a uh, through coaching is when guys make mistakes on the field and then you're like hey don't do that again and then they don't do it again so he him talking about how they've had to basically show clips of other people making mistakes i mean that's you've have you have to get creative right now and i think it it'll be interesting to see what these guys look like when they get on the field but you know he he, like he said, he's he's playing it by day by day. I mean, they they find out what the rules are and they're going to have to adapt. I mean, there's nothing you can you can plan a lot of different ways, but ultimately, you're you're going day by day with what what the league's telling you. You're going to be allowed to do once these guys get back from camp. Well, and we're not even to camp yet, and already some news coming out from around the NFL late in the day on Monday. Actually, started at midday and worked its way through the day. On Monday, uh, first NFL Network seeing Rappaport reporting several Cowboys and Texans players have tested positive for COVID-19 recently. None of the players are believed to have been in the team facilities. Teams followed, followed proper health protocols. We're going to see it pop up. Uh, a lot of the health experts for the league have said all 32 teams are going to have someone at some point that, that comes down with this. And how they deal with it will kind of show – how successful a season can be in the National Football League if we can make it through the entire 2020 NFL season. But already seeing cases as it pertains to players, uh, we've seen some in Denver, we've seen a few others, but uh, several Cowboys, several Texans recently. Little cause for concern, Gribbs? I'm not so sure. I, I think this was part of the reality, and I think it's just it's it's an adjustment that we have to get used to. I mean, the – the, the more we hear of this, the less shocking it's going to be. So the, the early stories are, are going to jar you and surprise you. And, uh, but I think, you know, you saw last week when colleges were going back, it was like three or four guys on every team. I mean, I think that all these guys are young. So the, the likelihood of some of them being asymptomatic is, is probably higher and it's not really affecting them as, as much as it would older, older folks. But, you know, it, this is just going to happen. I, I think the key is going to be identifying these guys and isolating and preventing uh, an outbreak from happening. And I think it doesn't surprise when the first two teams you're hearing about are, are Dallas and Houston and Texas has been a, surging a bit in cases. So, I mean, I'm not saying all those guys are in Texas, but uh, the guys that are in Texas might be at higher risk right now. So I think it's all, it's all going to be about just getting these guys identified early, making sure they don't work out with each other when there's a pending test or, or things like that. So it, it, that, the, the fact that these guys have cases now, it, it shouldn't be jarring. It's just going to be about the in-season management once they do get in the building. Yeah, exactly. What do you make, and I meant, I did not put this in the rundown, but Bruce Arians' comments last week about contemplating having a quarterback practice away from the facility, be part of all the meetings via Zoom or whatever, Microsoft Teams, however they they do it down in Tampa, but uh, what did you make of his comments about putting a quarterback away from the team in the facility in case the quarterback room, uh, God forbid, came down with it? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm open for anything at this point. I, I think you have to embrace outside-the-box thinking. And I think, what, we, we expanded rosters by two this offseason? I mean, I, I'm not ruling out anything when it comes to roster expansion for this season because I, I, I just think you might have to. I mean, we've seen it with the NBA – uh, going into this bubble situation, they're expanding their rosters a bit. I just think you can't operate uh, in con in convention in any possible way. So it wouldn't surprise me if you see some bold expansion of rosters. I just think it, it might have to happen. I, I mean, I think these decisions are going to be made along the way 
and made in ways that they weren't made in the past where you had to go through all these protocols to get things done. We've seen this at like the state and local level where all of a sudden these laws are just getting passed in like a second that had, that took, that used to take years or, or months. I mean, you know, desperate times call for desperate measures. And so you, you act quicker uh, to, to make sure to preserve what you have. And I, so I, again, I'm open for anything. I think that, and I think the NFL should be, and I think the team should be. And if you're not thinking outside the box, you could, you could really run into some trouble if you're, if you're trying to operate with the way that things used to be. Yeah. From Tom Pelissero of the NFL network, uh, there was a call late in the day, Monday with agents and the NFLPA, NFLPA medical director, Tom Mayer said the current plan is to test players for COVID-19 three times a week, isolating those who test positive, Per mayor, there's a 90% chance reliable saliva testing is available before players return to facilities. Players upon return should be expected to be tested every three days. I'm here in three times, here in three days. Uh, my, or to the agents, you can't fit the virus into football. You have to fit football into the virus. This is a, quote, badass virus. So I, I think everything's on the table and – you know, for those of us in the, around the league that work for teams and, you know, our game plan is to have training camp coming up at the end of July. But the NFLPA and the NFL still have to work out a lot of things before the Players Association agrees to start training camp. And uh, for those people that think they're close, I don't know how close they are yet. I do think there's a lot to work out because I think with this virus, we're still figuring out stuff every day, what, what we need to do protocol wise. I mean, just think a few, few months ago, we weren't talking about masks and now all of a sudden these guys are going to be in masks everywhere. So I think, I, I do think that there is a lot to work out, a lot of T's to cross, a lot of I's to dot. The thing working to the NFL's benefit when you compare it to say major league baseball is I think that everyone is united, I think around this common goal of, of having this season happen and I think that they there's the understanding that hey let's all let's make some concessions here let's make some agreements here I'm confident they'll get this worked out because I, I think everyone involved wants this thing to happen and, and wants this this season to happen uh in a full capacity as as much as possible so uh I, I think the fact that you have the sides kind of with that base understanding I, I think that helps these negotiations maybe move a little swifter than they might be doing in other sports right now. Yeah. Uh, I, I, despite what may or may not happen as it pertains to the NFL, they're still ahead of what MLB is doing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that, it's the advantage of a couple things. I mean, you've had months of buildup to get to this point. Uh, and then I think that you don't, it helped that you passed that CBA before leading up into this. And I, I just don't think you don't have the history of acrimony that, that baseball has between the owners and players. I, I just think that there's just a lot coming ahead in baseball that football currently does not have to deal with. Yeah, no question. A lot to get to, still a lot of answers still needed. Oh, about training camp. We don't know about the preseason. We don't know about the regular season yet. It is the middle of June that we do know, and time is starting to fly as we get closer to the 2020 NFL season. We are back with you on Thursday. Thanks to Anthony Baca for his time and all of his hard work behind the scenes. Thanks to tight ends coach Drew Petzing. Make sure you log on to clevelandbrowns.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Like and subscribe today to the best podcast available. You can also check us out on YouTube, youtube.com 
slash Browns. Randy Gribble, I'm Jason Gibbs. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening to the best podcast available.